P-U-X world. P-U-X world. P-U-X world. Branding with the big faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about voice. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Very well, very hey. well. How's it all going? How's it hanging out there? Yeah, doing okay, doing okay. Looking forward to this show. Um, need to need to alert our live audience if you hear a little bit of sounds in the background. I'm I'm being a modern father and got a baby right next to me. Um, I'm, my wife is coming home from work soon. Is going to retrieve the baby, but I might go mute a little bit. Uh, so 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 we'll see. But I'm looking forward to this show. Likewise, likewise, yeah. And uh, I've just put the link now on LinkedIn, so hopefully people can uh, can start tuning in. And Zohib, welcome, welcome to VUX World, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, absolute pleasure. From uh, from Toronto, hailing from from Canada. Yeah, from uh, just north of uh, where most of the action is. At yeah, the yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of action going on over there. Uh, how how are people feeling, Dustin, on on your side, family wise, uh, in the US and stuff like that? Joe Biden just starting all that sort of stuff. What's what's occurring? Yeah, I don't. We don't usually talk about those things. We're usually just talking about the baby, um, and then we talk about what everyone talks about, which is the coronavirus, and when can we come see the baby, and, and when can we start traveling. So, so. Um, yeah, I don't know too much, but definitely got some got some nice love for Toronto as well. Last time I went there, I made it to the uh, hockey museum, which was was a, a oh. nice nice pleasure. I'm not a hockey fan, but it was really interesting to see. And then also, what I noticed as well was I was there over Halloween. So apparently, there was like a big Halloween thing, but I didn't attend. But the thing is, like October 31st, it was nice. November 1st, I was freezing. So I, I don't know how, how you're doing it here in, in late January, but um, it was a great city. Yeah, no, I spoke to someone in Saskatchewan yesterday, which made me feel a lot better. He was like, yeah, it's like negative 30. I'm like, oh, it's Celsius. I'm like, oh, it's summer down here in Toronto compared to that. <laughs> wow, wow. Well, Toronto, there's there's a lot of, we were just saying there before we came on, and apologies for everyone tuning in for a little bit late, but we were just saying uh, that Toronto and Canada in general is like one of the real hotspots for, for voice technology. You know, you've got VoiceFlow, you've got Botmark, you've got a whole host of companies kind of, um, you know, becoming kind of present in Canada and obviously Resemble AI being one of them as well. Do you want, do you want to kind of give us a bit of an intro to, to yourself and to Resemble AI and, and what you're up to and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So um, my name is Zohaib. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Resemble AI. Uh, we've been around for a little bit now. So we basically focus on building custom voices and moving synthetic voices forward uh, in all sorts of directions. So uh, helping with branding, uh, helping discover the right custom voice for you, uh, controllability over the custom voice, et cetera. Um, and yeah, that's what we've been uh, building a whole product line around. Nice. And I think I said, when I first come across it, I don't know if it's still the same because I, I, I uh, haven't, I was going through the process this morning, I didn't get all the way through it, but before it was literally as simple as going to the website, recording a snippet of, of audio 
and all of a sudden you've got a synthetic voice off the back of it. Is that, is that still the process or is there, is there a bit more to it than that? Yeah, no, we, uh, that's basically it. Um, we made it really easy to build your own custom voice. Um, you go in the, uh, the web app, you record 50 sentences, uh, which takes about like maybe five to 10 minutes, depending on how fast you read. Um, and at the end of that, you have a voice built for you. Um, more from there, we have an entire pipeline where you're able to upload any sort of data to us. So if you, you know, um, currently use a voice talent or, uh, if there's a voice talent that you want to use, um, you're able to kind of collect that data, uh, on your own and then kind of upload it directly as raw audio files. And we handle the rest. We build the voice from there. Um, so yeah, there's, there's not a lot of requirements and it's very flexible in how you, how you go about it. And, and looking at your website, you've got a lot of different applications. Uh, like you're talking about digital characters, something called Resemble Fill, and and of course things like smart assistants as well. So, what are people using Resemble.ai for today? Yeah, uh, it mainly falls in two categories. Anyone that cares about voice branding. So, um, you know, if you are building an assistant or like a Alexa skill, etc., where uh, the main interface is voice. You probably want that to be a memorable voice, something that represents your brand. Um, you know, like like Kate mentioned, you have if you have a website, you have a mobile app, you already have this identity. It's a kind of a shame if you just kind of use a stock voice out of the box for a voice experience. Um, then we have some more exciting um, exciting things like VR and AR, digital characters, uh, games where we really showcase how controllable these voices are. Uh, so it's not just building like a text-to-speech engine where you type in stuff and you get it to read it, um, but it's also about like how tunable the voices are and what kind of performance you can get out of it. Um, so yeah, we, can, we range in customers, but at the end of the day, everyone's kind of focused on building the best voice possible. Uh, and then on top of that, once they have that branding in place where we really shine is scalability. So things that humans aren't able to do today, which is, you know, if you're running a call center um, and you have hundreds of calls per hour um, or thousands of calls per hour, thousands of agents, um, how do you scale to that to that degree? How do you like generate things faster than real time responses, et cetera? Um, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of those things where, you know, Unfortunately, humans, even though we can multitask, we probably can't have like 100 conversations at the same time. Uh, but synthetic voices are very, very good at that. So, um, yeah, those are probably the two big reasons why you want to use us. Cool. I've just got, give me one second. I've, I've realized that this is streaming to uh, a different YouTube. So I'm going to have to post the link to the people that are waiting. That's a shame. Uh, uh, yeah, that is, same thing. Same thing as last week. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the hell's going on with it. It's really frustrating that it doesn't um, doesn't broadcast to to the event that we scheduled, which is a big shame. Uh, but I am happy. Am happy to see and and hello to Heidi Cohen, who's who's in the comment section again. So hello, Heidi. She was a uh, very very prolific last week, and I see we've got some other questions coming coming as well. So really excited to. Really excited to to speak to those questions. Uh, maybe as you're getting set up, Kane. Um, so um, you were talking earlier about okay, you get set up. Um, you said like fifty to hundred sentences or phrases. Is that it? Yeah, to start fifty sentences um, okay. for something that we 
consider more production quality. Mm. Uh, we recommend getting about 20 minutes of audio, mm. uh, but then it really does depend on the use case and what you're building. So, you know, if you're building uh, something that's more dialogue uh, focused and, you know, it doesn't have tons of emotions, et cetera, um, you could probably get away with a very, very small data set. Um, you know, but if you get that same thing to read Harry Potter, it would mm-hmm. probably not capture all the emotions that are needed for something as fictional or immersive as that. So, um, yeah, depending on exactly what you're building, we have different scripts that we can recommend, um, different types of dialogue, and you get a voice that kind of fits a particular profile. And I see you have something called the Resemble AI Voice Talent. Well, this, I think, maybe is new since we originally spoke last year. What is that? What does that offer? Yeah. So over the last, uh, in 2020, we actually built more than 40,000 voices. Um, you know, we have uh, tens of thousands of users who come in and kind of try out our product and uh, give, uh, give give us data. Um, and they, they build these voices for different experiences. And what we started noticing was there was this real interest of uh, the, these these voice actors, sometimes like amateur voice actors, uh, whose voices really fit certain profiles. And we kind of wanted to encourage them to uh, get their voices out there for different applications so they can kind of get on our marketplace. And then as we get customers who are looking for certain voices, it's kind of like a community marketplace where, you know, they can they can make money while uh, other people use their voices. How come, how come you only need like... 20 minutes of audio like some of the other providers need a lot more like three hours or something like that and i know that um the bbc when they created their voice using uh the microsoft service um one it cost a shed ton of money maybe we'll get on to price comparisons a little bit later but it also took a, a lot of time and a lot of effort and and certainly a lot more than 20 minutes worth of worth of audio samples. So I'm wondering whether you can speak to why is it that you only need so, so little sample data to create these voices? Yeah. So we have spent a lot of time uh, building the technology. So our, our team is composed largely of engineers and engineers who have in the past done a lot of open source work in this area. Um, and one of our goals is to always was to always make that very easy. So like you mentioned, a lot of other providers, uh, there were other things going on, like a lot of data that's needed. Um, the turnaround time for building a voice sometimes took months and et cetera. And really, we realized like a lot of people want to churn out different voices for different use cases really quickly until they settle on a voice that they actually feel represents their brand or an experience they're looking for. Um, uh, the, the essence of how of why we're so quick in building these voices is uh, simply the process that we have in place of, uh, of, of transfer learning. Um, so a part of it is the technology has massively improved in the last three years or so. Um, there's been, I think, vast majority of work in this area has been done in the last three years compared to if you look beyond before something like 2018, 2017, there was very little out there and the especially in 2018 2019 the state of the art kind of blew uh, blew the doors wide open and what could be done in with very little data um earlier we saw like a lot of advancements in terms of quality um and, and then we kind of uh, saw a lot of advancements in the academic world as well as private uh including us where we kind of um, built models that were able to transfer learn really quickly onto different languages and different voices, et cetera. So yeah, we're, our, our goal is always to like 
make it really easy for the users to provide as little data as possible to get something going almost immediately. And, and so that's a good perspective from the uh, the speed perspective on getting set up. Uh, we have a question in the chat from uh, from John uh, or Bondad. I, Bondad, Bondad. I, I need to. I'm not sure on that one. Um, but he was asking, how far are we from high quality rendering at runtime with low latency? So essentially, being able to uh, sort of develop anything that you want to say without having to make the user wait for it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so our APIs right now run faster than real time uh, already. So we we did a lot of work on this. I, I, I know the, the question includes like at Project Voice. I said we're not quite there yet, and that was real. We weren't really, we weren't there yet. Um, we are now able to we, we offer different APIs for rendering speed and latency. So depending on your use case, we kind of like uh, there is an asynchronous API that's able to take a lot of data, a lot of content, and generate things. Um, it generates faster in real time, but you're waiting a few seconds for it to generate. Um, then we have a synchronous API where you're giving it like five to eight seconds and you're getting a response back within one second. Um, and then beyond that, we actually recently introduced a streaming API. Um, the streaming API, basically, because we are generating text or audio faster than real time, um, we're able to provide the time to first sound to be 300 milliseconds. Um, and that really opens a lot of doors for more conversational dialogue experiences where uh, 300 milliseconds is, is, is extremely quick between a conversation. Uh, it's almost like like, like uh, how we converse in real, in, in, as humans. Um, so yeah, it's uh, the quality of the rendering was was is was was there at that time, and the latency was a missing piece. And so over the last like six to eight months, we worked uh, quite a lot on that to bring that down. And a lot of it has been through uh, the APIs that we've provided. Cool. That's interesting. Um... What what we've got a question for Matthew James. I want to come to that in a minute, Matthew, because um, it's all to do with once you've created the voice itself and and how you tweak it and all that kind of stuff um, beyond there. So, but before that, what's the kind of from from a either from a user perspective, like I know that you can go to the website, you can make some recordings, you can create a voice and all that kind of stuff, like. Is that always the process? Like if, if, a, if a client who has a, a contact center or whatever wanted a custom voice for their mm -hmm. IVR or for their automated bot or someone's building an Alexa skill or a Google action, they want a voice like, first of all, is that onboarding process always the same? They go to the website, they record a voice. And then secondly, how do they then actually get access to use that voice once it's created, is it an API? Is it like how how do they actually use it? So is the process the same all the time? And then once they have the voice, how how do they actually get access to it and use it? Yeah. Uh, so the the first question is how they go about and build a voice. So there's obviously the fifty sentences way of doing it. There's the way of just uploading any sort of audio data. So if you are like an agency or if you're uh, I don't know an entertainment company, chances are that you have audio data that you, you have from the past. Or even if you're like a podcaster, you know you guys have like dozens and hundred, almost hundreds of episodes where you've recorded yourselves. You probably don't need to record anything all over again. Uh, you could upload that to us and we build a voice from there. Um, and the third way is through the API, which is the most flexible way of doing it. Um, the API basically allows you to upload your data programmatically. So if you are a contact center and you are accumulating data over time for every agent, you can actually pipe that data directly to us or to the, to the voice that you uh, that you're building for that particular agent, uh, and then would automatically kick off the exact same process from there, building the voice. Um, the voice building process right now, it takes about 20 to 30 minutes. 
uh, assuming the data is good. Sometimes we do receive data that's like old and we do need to do some sort of uh, tuning on it or enhancement on that data. Um, but once that voice is built, it's uh, the usage is really straightforward. Again, you could use to the API. Um, every voice that you build on your account is only associated to your account unless you share it with someone else. Um, so you could use it through the API or you could go through the web interface and kind of write, we have like a, 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 an editor where you can kind of type in dialogue. You can highlight the words and kind of select different effects, et cetera, and click play um, and listen to it as it's playing. They could download the asset and do something with it. Um, and, or we also give you like a, a good interface to go between a non-technical use, which is using the web interface to something that's programmatic where you click a button and you get the, the markup language that makes up that request. So if you are passing it off to a developer, they know exactly what payload they need to send to the API to generate the exact same audio clip um, in real time. So there's there's a few ways of using it, uh, well, a couple of ways of using it, and there's a few ways of building the actual voice, but it's, it's very flexible um, and we could be as hidden as you want in that entire experience. So I'm curious, you you brought up an interesting use case that I wanted to know if it's an actual use case or just an example, which is the call center use case where you you said that they might have hours and hours of their call center agents and they might want to build a voice from that. Is that something that someone's doing already or just an example of a possibility that they could do? Uh, no, we have, we have customers doing that already um, where they are like piping in data directly to us. Um, uh, from real agents and we are building voices from there. Uh, the, the use case from there really uh, varies. I guess it was two ways. One is like um, incoming calls, being able to uh, kind of, you know, if Sam from company, company A talks <laughs> to you, um, then perhaps when you call that company or that dealership or whatever that is, uh, Sam is the one that is like onboarding you on that call and asking you the first few questions uh, before the real Sam picks up the call. Um, so there's like a handoff there. And the second thing is data collection. So, if, you know, again, if you've dealt with Sam, uh, say you bought a car from him and Sam every year wants to verify your address, he gives like, you know, there's an automated call that can go out in Sam's voice. Um, most of our customers actually do say like, this is an automated voice, but I'm still Sam. Um, and they'll like try collecting data. Like, Hey, do you still live at this, at this address? Um, and it kind of like makes it really familiar, uh, familiarizes like the, the person that's receiving the call on the other end, that it's not just a generic voice. It's someone that they can recognize um, from the brand that or the, the company that they're talking to. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of interesting use cases popping out there. I think a lot of it falls to your end where you guys are focused a lot more on the conversation design and how do you like, what, what, what dialogue actually put out there. Um, so it's still early days of that. And they're, most of them are still trying to figure out exactly um, what, or to what extent that flow needs to, needs to go towards or to. That is so interesting. That is fascinating. Isn't it? Because most of the time, most of the, uh, and this is what we've also professed in, in, in plenty of occasions and, and all that kind of stuff is that the, the general consensus is that when you call a company, it's the company's bot or company's assistant that answers the phone. And then there is this consistency around who you speak to. So every time you call a company, you get the same persona. It's the company's assistant. And it doesn't matter what you call about. Yeah. There is just this one persona, one consistent persona. But you've kind of just described it in, a, in an entirely different way, which is which is replicating the voice of the agent who you're going to end up with 
Therefore, whenever you call, you're going to speak to uh, any number of hundreds of people, potentially. But the synthetic side of things, the bot essentially, is just a representation of the person you end up speaking to as opposed to a manifestation of the company. That's a really interesting way of approaching it. I've never, I've never even yeah. thought about that before. It, you know, one way of looking at it is actually like uh, drip campaigns, email campaigns that you get, right? So um, you probably notice this. It's, it's sometimes annoying. Uh, but you, you sign up for the CRM um, and this person from the CRM starts like emailing you saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm managing your accounts and you know, it's automated, you know, he's not sitting there and writing those emails out to every single person who signs up. Um, but now, you know, Justin at CRM is helping you, um, from there on. Right. So Justin will like catch up with you. He wants to get you on a call. Justin wants to find out about your usage. Now you associate like whenever you get an email, it's almost like Justin from CRM, right? And like, that's the, that's the from address that it's coming from. So it's almost like we know uh, already from email, something as old as that, that the more personalized you make it, the, uh, the more relatable it is for users uh, or for your, for your end user. That is, um, whereas, you know, like we've, we've seen this from like really old companies too, where you get like these snail mail letters from the CEO, uh, which like, you know, has a signature on everything, thanking you for being their customer. It's, you know, it's, it's like that personal touch, I think, that uh, kind of goes a long way. I think that brings up a really interesting thing that we, we want to touch on. And, and maybe we've got some other questions as well. So we, we could probably spend an entire episode on this. But the ethics of voice cloning, right? Because this is now a thing where it's not just you going and saying, hey, Kane and Dustin are going to clone their voices so that they can uh, run a podcast without actually being there. But it's me as an employee, I'm giving my employer permission to clone my voice. And I'm sure as well, there's going to be, there is, I'm sure, right? Like at least a demand to clone Trump's voice, clone Obama's voice, clone Biden's voice. What are your views on the ethics around voice cloning? Yeah, first we, we don't um, clone anyone's voice unless we have consent. Um, so the, the 50 cents way is like, uh, those sentences, if you ever read them, they're really weird sentences. Um, you won't find any sane person reading those sentences out loud. Um, so one one is like we, we kind of figure out like we, we get a consent that way if, you, if you're reading those sentences. Uh, second is like when you're uploading any sort of data, uh, we do require like a video file for that person giving explicit consent. And then we um, we use this, we actually use our own open source repository called Resembleizer to see like if the the person who is uploading that audio is the same as the one that is um, the one that is the one that gave consent. So there is that that that, uh, that method of verifying uh, that everyone knows what they're getting themselves into. Um, I think I think the 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 ethics here they're really important to discuss, and that's kind of why we open source something that kind of tries to solve that issue in some way, and we kind of like trying to get the community more involved in that. Um, but yeah, in terms, other than that, like, you know, the, um, there, there are so many interesting use cases. I think uh, a large part of the ethical discussion here is, um, like we have to educate people to get familiar with it. Right. It's like you've, you and I have been educated and we've been, uh, conditioned that when we watch a commercial for Burger King and they show us a Whopper, we've already been conditioned that that's not the Whopper we're going to see. Right. So like, that's visually deep fakes have been going on for more, many, many decades. It's nothing new. Uh, but we've been consistently told that, you know, whatever you see in a magazine or whatever you see in a commercial, 
you should think about it more. Um, and that's the same discussion that's going to happen through audio as well. What, whatever you are listening to, you should um, consider how it's being made. In some use cases, it doesn't matter that much, like the game studios that use us or, you know, documentaries or film and animation. That, that's like a creative tool for them to actually, you know, just like they were doing graphics before, this is just another outlet for them to produce content that is immersive in some way. Um, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the ethical discussion is more around um, more around education than anything else. Interesting. We we had a question before um, before we started in the in the chat that we that we had going before uh, the event chat from Daniel, who is talking about Resembleizer, which is around like maybe you're going to give an, an explanation about what Resembleizer is, because his question um, explaining what it is might actually answer his question, but if it doesn't, then, then you can kind of elaborate. But will we see a B2C solution like Resembleizer help tackle fake speech detection and speaker verification? So is it possible to use it where if I make a phone call or if I'm talking to my voice assistant, you can authenticate me because you know what my voice sounds like? And also, will it be able to detect potentially like either fraudulent or you know uh, wrong usage of synthetic voices in some description yeah um so to the to the first thing uh maybe maybe explain what resembleizer does really quickly um resembleizer is a deep learning model uh that is able to create a embedding for a given speaker so an embedding think of it as like a, a signature um so it's like this large array of numbers um, that given a snippet of audio um, makes a signature from that audio. Um, and then we can basically use that embedding or signature to compare to other audio and we can calculate how far it is and we can then figure out like, oh, is this a fake or is this real? Um, so that's what it does out of the box. Uh, we The open source repository comes with a pre-trained model out of the box. Um, it works on a CPU, so it can work on your computer. You don't need beefy GPUs for it. Um, we don't have any sort of product line right now or APIs that we offer that as like a service, um, simply because like we were iterating on it internally quite a bit. Uh, we do use it internally for a lot of other, uh, a lot of use cases. We've also iterated on like feeding it different data sets and seeing how it performs. Um, but yeah, we don't have any immediate um, plans to kind of make that into a service on its own, but we have everything in that repository to help anyone kind of get started, uh, without having to train anything out of the box. Um, but yeah, to your point, uh, it does work faster in real time as well. So, you know, if you are comparing a audio file to something that is being generated, uh, it is fairly good at detecting, uh, if it's, if it's far away, et cetera, uh, or if it's a fake. Um, so yeah, that, that is definitely a use case, uh, that we can, that we, that we use it for internally at least. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of encourage everyone to, you know, if, if it's something that, uh, if you have ideas around that, if, if, you know, if it's something that you're interested in, you definitely go check it out. There's always some sort of discussion happening there. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of left to the community to kind of help us make it better. Hmm. Nice. Well, we've got we've got quite a few questions flying through, and uh, quite a few. Heidi's got a few. Uh, we had one other uh, earlier on, which I want to get to, and, and then we can maybe get through some of the others. There's a really good one from Jay Ruperall, which we'll we'll come to as well. But uh, a while back, Matthew James uh, Juice Store, 
you know, I hope I pronounced that surname right. If it's if it's right, Juicedo, that is an excellent surname. Um, who says, I have a question, maybe a little premature, which hopefully it's not anymore. Once the voice is created, do you have models which will shift the voice to something like conversational, like happy or sad? Like, for example, is the SSML markup available yeah. that tweaks the voice? And what's the process around like tweaking and, 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 and changing the enunciation and, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, before before I could do justice to the answer, I think I have to talk about like how we approach this problem ourselves. Um, so emotion in in speech is is really um, it's it's a big problem for us. It's something that we're we're always trying to solve. Initially, what we came out with was like a we support other SSML tags, like you control the pitch and the uh, the volume and the rate, etc. And you could kind of like get some of these working like you could you know make the pitch higher it'll sound slightly happier but we weren't really happy with that it was like uh whenever you change the pitch on any voice it doesn't sound like that voice anymore that was always like concerning to us um the first thing that we tried doing was like um building the the using the data that you're uploading we would then try to figure out like how happy were you what do you sound like when you're happy what do you sound like when you're sad etc and it kind of give you like a a drop down to select which um which emotion you want. Um, then we kind of got stuck because we're like, um, you know, someone like Conan O'Brien is generally very happy. Uh, maybe that's as normal, that's as neutral. So what what do we do there? Um, so we kind of came up with this concept of emotion gradients, which is uh, thinking of emotions as um, a set of parameters, which is how expressive the voice is, how aggressive the voice is, and how fast it, it is speaking. Um, and a combination of those three will build a emotion. So you can kind of build your own emotion. You can have like emotion called Conan O'Brien one or Conan O'Brien happy or Conan O'Brien like sarcastic, et cetera. And you're basically tuning these emotions around with this gradient sort of tool. So think of like color gradients where you go from like green to like red or something, but instead you're going from like, um, like something that goes, um, normal pitch to like high pitch. Um, and that becomes your emotion for uh, a question that is curious because it turns out people, when they ask curious questions, they end off with a higher pitch at the end. Um, and so we kind of introduced that and for a while that was working really well. We also have that through SSML. We introduced our own tag called resemble style, um, because that wasn't part of the, the spec for SSML. Um, then we kind of sat back and were like, this is great. But then we saw people struggling with these like little knobs, moving them up and down. Um, and we're like, this is painful. This is, this, this seems like it's very annoying for people to do. Like they're spending so much time and actually exactly getting the, the output to sound like what they want. So what we moved on from there was, um, uh, this concept of, um, being able to control voices, um, even more dynamically. And, uh, hopefully we're going to come up with something in early February that will, remove a lot of those that markup need that's needed and you could create even more emotions you can make something that's like you know someone that's uh really angry or someone that's like showing all sorts of emotions in one sentence and in, in one sentence so yeah that's kind of our focus right now is we've we started off with that generic like conversational and question and then happy sad and then we kind of made that even more dynamic with like this gradient concept and now we're even thinking the interface maybe you know shouldn't even be this, these knobs and how do you get even more controllability than that? Um, so that's like kind of the long answer to that question. Hmm. Interesting. How, how, how are we going on the baby front, Justin? 
Oh, I think we might have lost Oh, you. I was muted. Sorry okay. about that. Um, no, no more, baby. No more, baby. I'm, I'm all, all alone. Classic. Uh, cool. So so we've got a few more questions uh, coming through here, which we'll get to. This one is a really good one, I think, from, from Jay Ruperell. Uh, some of the speech synthesis companies, and you, you kind of might have alluded to this when you're talking about kind of more dynamic kind of updating of things. Uh, some of the, so I'm just move this a little bit so we can see Dustin properly. There we go. Uh, some of the speech synthesis companies we've come across provide reason, reasonable quality human-like voices. Um, but when it comes to speaking to something that's been retrieved from a database, so when you're kind of serving more dynamic content, it's, yeah. it tends to, it's, they might tend to struggle. And, and that may be because there's a lot of work done up front for fairly static responses to make those sound. Oops, hold on. We've lost, we've lost him. It's just us. We've lost Zohib. Hopefully he'll, uh, he'll return imminently yeah. here he is there we go right. uh, so where were we um so yeah so retrieving retrieving responses from a database um when you when you work on a conversational application that is is responding fairly static answers um you can then do a lot of tweaking you can do a lot of manipulating and massaging you can make things sound really really nice and really really proper but then all of a sudden you throw entities and parameters in there and you're, you're doing database lookups and serving more dynamic content how do you deal with that and still keep the integrity of, of that natural sounding voice? Yeah, uh, there's a couple of ways that we solve it. Um, one is we spend a lot of time focusing on improving um, emotion prediction from text. Um, so for those dynamic content, we like the only input we really have is some sort of text most of the time, right? Like um, it's really hard to for, for a user to give input like, oh, here's text and it should be like, you know, sometimes we'll get things like, oh, it should be happy. Then our life is a little bit easier. But sometimes it's just like, here's some text that's been dynamically generated. Um, especially think of like, you know, on, on the far end here with something like GPT-3 or something, which is literally dynamically generated. We don't even know what's going to come out. Um, so we put in a lot of effort towards um, creating like these style tokens or uh, these style attributes that the AI will determine on its own, just given text. Um, so that's one way that we do it. Uh, that that's like a uh, you know that that gives us some improvement, but it always doesn't get exactly what the user wants. So what we encourage users to do instead um, is think about uh, almost like a semi-supervised approach. Uh, what that basically means is like if you're building dynamic content, you kind of mentioned slots and entities. Um, if you have, if you're thinking about slots, then, you know, perhaps what we should do is that voice talent that you are using to build the voice off of, if we can get them to say that sentence with just one slot, like, you know, if, if, if a core part of your application is like, uh, is a script that contains something like, um, uh, you know, Hey, so let me grab around and Hey, Jay, welcome to VUX world. Right. And that's, that's the, that's the sentence that you want to say. And Jay is that word that you want to replace, but you want everything else to be exactly the same. I wish I could repeat that one more time. I think it was, Hey, Jay, welcome to VUX world. And the, Hey, is like excited. Right. Um, and you want exactly that kind of intonation, but would Jay replace with like James or John or Sean, um, and what you could do is we have something called resemble fill. Uh, the idea there is you kind of give it the sentence or, or the the slot, and you give it the the reference audio and say like, oh, you know, like we the the voice actor has already said this particular sentence, 
um, but all we want to do is replace J with Sean. Um, and what the what the AI does there is like it kind of tries to mimic the prefix and the suffix, and it tries to blend in that word as accurately as it can. Um, and that opens up a lot of doors. It's kind of like a semi-supervised approach where it's like it's not all automated, but it gets you really far in terms of like the the intonation, the inflection. Um, so yeah, that, that's like those are like a couple of ways. Uh, hopefully, like we put in a lot of effort towards uh, like figuring out the right style from text, but unfortunately, language is ambiguous. So you know, even if we get really really good at it, we're gonna get it wrong sometimes. Just like you know, if you put a question, is it an assertive question? Is it a curious question? At one point, we're just taking a guess. <laughs> so. Yeah, we, we're trying to figure out different ways of, of solving that problem where it's kind of like human in the loop for the AI. Mm. Nice. That sounds good. Um, we've got we've got uh, another couple of questions we're talking about that kind of predicting, um, you know, you're talking about kind of predicting emotion, things like that. So Sean Thornton said, could emotion prediction from text be used to flag moments where earcons might supplement context so Heidi had put a few links earlier on links to, to some Sonic branded articles and things like that and for those of you listening who may not be au fair, au fair with what earcons are earcons are like just little audio samples that replace uh, or that, that help the, a user orient themselves within an, an, uh, within an application so for example the little ping that you get when you get a text message is an earcon it just helps you know that you've got a text message um, so can you see a opportunity for uh, predicting what they so could emotion prediction from text be used to flag earcons? So, is it, so I think what he's asking is if you were to, um, I don't know, detect uh, someone was, uh, I don't know, either angry or you know, talking about a specific topic, is there potential to replace certain text with certain earcons? I suppose is the is the question, yeah. So, there's two parts of this it's uh, we, we're assuming like the emotion prediction is like from what the other user is saying, right? So uh, if I understand this correctly, it's like, you know, if I'm having, if if I'm the, if I am your Google assistant and you are, you know, um, you're talking to me and you say something in an angry tone, um, is the question, could I, could we flag that and reply with some sort of ear cuts or so I think I think so. Maybe Sean, maybe maybe if you want to elaborate on that question slightly, I think I think that's what it is. Um, yeah. Detecting the the sentiment or the emotion from the user, and then being able to yeah. dynamically serve an earcon yeah. or some sound rather than the voice, or, that's, or as that's well as really the voice potentially. Problem because um, you can imagine uh, as as maybe you kind of figured out a little bit um, when you are uploading your own data to us, we are kind of classifying different emotions for you. Uh, so we in-house have built a emotion classifier from audio. Um, one, one thing that, uh, one thing that uh, it, it's kind of, it's in private beta right now, but we are putting that emotion classifying API out there for people to use um, where you give it some audio and it's able to tell you what the emotion is. And then, um, you can then use that emotion to actually generate the audio uh, as a response from Presemble. So the text-to-speech uh, component takes in different text depending on what the other API that's classifying emotion might, might provide back. Um, so uh, there, we are like looking at uh, like like building. We're, we're we're already like it's already in in some sort of private beta right now where there's an API that you give it some sort of audio. And it says, oh, yeah, the user here in this audio clip was 
had fear um, or had disgust or was angry uh, or was, you know, happy uh, or neutral. Um, so that, uh, the, the reason we built that, that's, that's like a key component to our entire stack. And the reason why we've kind of extracted it out and kind of providing it as a separate API is because if you look at like how uh, other sentiment analysis API work, uh, like Sean mentioned, they're deducing emotion from text, um, which isn't very ideal for a voice world. So right now, most of them will take something like uh, audio, convert it to text, drive some sort of sentiment from that, and then construct a reply. Um, what we want to do is miss, like, skip that text part because it, you lose a lot of information there, right? You can say the exact same sentence and be, you know, totally pissed off. So like we, we want we want to actually capture how ticked off you are um, from the audio clip itself. Um, so I think Sean's answer is like, it's, it's twofold. We do have an API that does that, but uh, the response is still kind of up to you. So hopefully like our goal is for, for you to like chain that together uh, and then maybe reply with uh, some sort of ear con or maybe uh, whatever the text-to-speech that's being generated gets twisted depending on what emotion you detect earlier. And we've got a question from Heidi Cohen about the cultural or other differences that influence emotion and, and how that works into voices. And I think that ties into a larger topic that we wanted to discuss as well, where you talk on your website about regionalization of voices, where you can take a voice and, and bring it, I think, to another, another accent, another even language, perhaps. Can you talk more about what regionalization of voices means? Yeah, so we call it localization. Um, and localization is, uh, we didn't invent it, um, but uh, the idea was localization already occurs a lot in, in most apps that you see, right? So, um, and, and, and most technology that you're seeing out there, um, there is some sort of localization that's occurring. So whether you are opening like a calendar uh, here versus Sweden, um, you know, it should start on a Monday, et cetera. Um, and you can't ship the entire calendar unless that feature is built in. Um, but when we, when we think about localization in terms of speech, uh, what really, uh, what, what the challenge there for us was, uh, how do we think about the same voice that you have crafted so carefully for your brand? Uh, why does it only speak English? Um, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And then do you have to like find someone, like imagine if, you know, uh, a large user base of yours is like speaking Spanish. Um, do you have to find a speaker that now speaks English and Spanish, you could probably do that. A lot of those out there. Um, but what about they have to speak like, you know, Dutch, uh, there's quite a few out now, now there's like a lot lower amount of people that fit that criteria. So with speech localization, our goal is like taking one voice source, uh, exactly the same data set that you have up uploaded for, um, while you're building your voice or that voice profile in just one language. Um, and then could we, again, use that method of some sort of method of transfer learning that we've developed in-house where we can now transfer that voice to a different language altogether. So even though, you know, Dustin might have never spoken a word of Dutch in his life, sorry if you have, um, we can still get you to speak fluent Dutch and yet it'll still sound like it's Dustin speaking. Um, so we're relatively early in this, like we have it working and, you know, we're, we're shipping that out to a lot of customers. Um, but then a lot of these conversations start happening where it's like, okay, um, you go from uh, English to French. Um, 
these are some easy conversations. You go from English to French, um, but what if the the character was, or you go from French to English, and the character that you are going to English, you still want that character to have some sort of a French accent because, I mean, their persona is French. So we can do something that's in the middle. You can control the accent to some degree where it sounds like it's not the French speaker isn't speaking fluent English all of a sudden. It's speaking some sort of a French-like English. Um, but then where it gets even more complicated is if you go take a language like um, like uh, Mandarin, where uh, you know if you speak English, and anyone who speaks more than one language will probably know when you speak the other language, your voice changes. It's like something human that you do. So when you're speaking Mandarin, perhaps your pitch changes, um, which most likely will. Um, and that that's even harder for us. So these are like kind of the questions that we're trying to solve now is, okay, we can go between English and French, German, Italian, primarily Indo-European languages, um, which, you know, opens up a lot of use cases. That's great. Um, but, you know, how do we move forward and go to where it's like Japanese and Mandarin, um, Hindi, et cetera, which, which, you know, are very different than, than English and French and German. Um, so yeah. Interesting. I, um, I've got. I, I want to. I'm gonna. We're gonna. I want to get onto the question of value in a minute. But this question is is related. But before that, that just made me think that if you can get to a point where you can make Dustin speak Dutch and you can make me speak French and and all that kind of stuff, then it's it's the value of that would be unbelievable because like. If you think about Google Translate and what that does now is you can just speak to it, ask it a question, it'll translate it into text and then it will, um, you know, translate my English into French and then it will read it back in French, which is which is cool. But it's still not my voice, you know. And so, and you were yeah. talking, you've mentioned a number of times uh, since we've been talking about, about the concept of quicker than real time, being able to perform yeah. actions quicker than real time. So it doesn't sound as though based on if we, if we were to continue following that thread, if you fast forward X number of years, it sounds as though it may be possible using this technology to have some kind of integration into most voice or most conferencing systems, most kind of applicant, most communication platforms, whereby I can sit on one end talking just like me in my English accent. And then in real time, it can be translated into the appropriate language, but the output will be my voice. So it will just sound to the person on the other end, like it's just me speaking French. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that is, that's kind of where we're going on that thread. It's like that, that's uh, what we have right now is, is great where it works, but uh, eventually we want it to be real time. Um, like the other, the other, you know, um, future that we see for this is, you know, if you, if you, have you seen, have you seen Money Heist on Netflix? Or not yet? No, no. Oh man, you're missing out. Okay. <laughs> um, Netflix has been really pushing a lot of shows that are not made in English. Like they are, you know, Italian shows and Spanish shows and etc. Where it's just being dubbed in a different language, right? Um, so you have like some. And they're getting better at it. Yeah, they're spending a lot of money getting real script writers to rewrite the script and then casting for people that kind of match the original actor and how they speak, et cetera. Um, and then kind of blending that together. It's, it's a really time consuming process. But you can imagine you can watch a show where in the future you can watch a show where, um, you know, you can actually get Morgan Freeman to be speaking Spanish. You don't need to find someone that sounds like him and then do a pretty poor dub on his voice just to cater to a different audience. I think in the English world, we're really lucky. We don't suffer from a lot of this. Um, 
yet at least i think we're suffering from it now because like people are watching more netflix videos or just more netflix in general so um we're we're we just we've finished literally every english show out there <laughs> and we're kind of moving on to like what is the other world producing these days uh but people who are living in like eastern europe and uh etc like india um most of their content is like dora the explorer being served in hindi which doesn't make for a very pleasant viewing um so yeah that's kind of our long-term goal there so you can think about it two ways like yeah communication this can change a lot um and also just like entertainment in general um this could this could be a game changer there as well wow or just podcasting yeah. Think about how many Spanish people listen to your podcast. That's true, actually. I had somebody uh, email me asking whether uh, there would be the possibility to translate it into Japanese, uh, which is is beyond my capabilities <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> but a nice idea. Um, so so we've got one more question from Jay Ruperell, and then I think we definitely want to get into this question of value because that's something that everybody is going to be wanting or, or wondering about. Um, so... We've been talking about almost like voice cloning, essentially, is what we've been speaking about uh, for quite a lot of this of this chat. Um, so Jay's asking around, you know, if you're talking about smart assistants, digital assistants, you know, whether that's in an IVR system on Alexa, Google Assistant, any kind of interactive kind of voice AI. Um, some of them, like Google Duplex, is probably the first example to do this, where it puts the ums and the ahs and the mhms and all that kind of stuff in there. But a lot of the systems now kind of do that. You know, um, Voca AI, before it was acquired by Snap, was was really good at putting those little kind of ums and ahs and stuff like that in there. What's your perspective on on that? Should it is that something that you're seeing happen in the market? Is people are uh, wanting those kind of effects in their synthetic voices, specifically when it comes to interactive agents? Or what's your perspectives on on those? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So I, I think um, uh, out of the box, the second part of that question is: Does our tech use it? So uh, we we do things like in in our voice cloning pipeline, which will pick up on threats. And will you know? You know, when you're starting a new sentence, it'll naturally take a breath when it does it. Um, we've thought about like inserting filler words quite a bit, and filler words are really interesting because most of the time, right now, they're just being inserted as like just general assets. So like, like you know, they've recorded a bunch of mm-hmm's and you know a bunch of breaths, and every breath sounds about the same. And then you kind of just um, um, you kind of just like go ahead and insert this random breath in the middle. So we don't want to go down that route. We think there's a better way of doing that. And uh, the controllability aspect, which you talked about earlier, alludes to this. The idea is like you should be able to um, get any sort of these effects in there and it should sound just as natural. So it shouldn't just be like one type of breath or, uh, or mm, whatever. It should actually be like, you know, there's many ways of you saying, mm-hmm. Um, you can elongate it and get a different meaning out of it altogether. So we are thinking about this right now and we do have a solution that is in the works uh, that is actually out there. Um, and a lot of the game developers and more, more most of the more creator like uh, community uh, really have, we've seen a positive feedback from them um, in more of a conversational flow. Uh, there are like, you know, inserting breaths normally, et cetera. That seems relatively useful um but i think where it gets really exciting is like the power users of this are going to be like the game developers and 
the uh, you know, documentaries and film and animation and et cetera, where uh, all these non-speech elements uh, need to kind of fit in. Um, so yeah, hopefully that uh, there, there's something there. So if this is interesting to you, just reach out to me and you know I'd love to give you a proper demo. And so moving on to a slightly different topic, which is, uh, you know, if somebody uses Resemble AI, uh, there's going to be a cost associated and they, they want to know that they're recouping their costs. So can you talk more about some of the benefits that your customers have seen? And maybe even before that, how do you measure the efficacy of a custom made voice? Um, yeah, so let's see here. How do I answer this so the the answer uh if i if i go to like the costs um the custom voices are, are 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 generally more efficient so we we typically look at our customers and we tell them like hey uh if you are you know if you just need five lines to be said you should probably not bother with this entire thing um i think where uh custom voices become a lot more efficient is again when you are um when, when you are trying to do things at a massive scale or a there's a, some sort of dynamic elements included in there, um, or you need some sort of rapid prototyping or rapid, rapid iterations on whatever you're doing, um, where you don't want the human to be completely in the loop all the time. Um, so that like custom voices are, are great for that. I don't think there's any sort of replacement that's like humanly possible that could even come close. Uh, just like, you know, if you're using unity for game development, you can go sit there and build your own physics engine or just use the physics engine to build for you. And uh, you, you will most likely just use that. Um, so yeah, just, just like that. And graphics people have been used to this all the time. I think we should just look at that similarly for voice. Um, the second thing about cost, um, you know, we, we, we built our pricing. So it's very, very scalable. Uh, we basically, um, you know, after building the voice, we're charging you depending on how much you're using it, um, which, still is significantly cheaper than, um, you know, what um, human labor will cost you. Um, so it, it, we do have a business model that's like, as you scale, we scale with you. Um, and we're quite supportive of like startups, et cetera, where we have specific plans, uh, especially for people who are maybe not ready to deploy their stuff to production, or, you know, this is like their first prototype they're putting out in the world where they want to see, like, if they can get huge benefits from this, we're more than happy to be supportive there. Um, so yeah, I hope, does that, does that answer your question? I, th I think a little bit on the cost side, I'm wondering though on the ROI side, it sounds perhaps like uh, the real ROI there then is cost reduction, is that an accurate thing to say? No, it's, I think it's it's also, um, it, it for different users, is different levels of, of measuring ROI. So, um, Cost is definitely one of it because it's it's there's there's AI involved, um, but I think there are some things that uh, you get that are kind of uh, irreplaceable. So think of like you know the, the scale of the content that you're generating. Um, think of the number of iterations that you can go through if you could actually generate content uh, on the fly. So uh, you know how many times have you seen a movie where it's like the graphics are absolutely gorgeous? And the script is like written by a five-year-old. It's like there there are way too many movies like that. Is and the main reason is because the the script writing process has been very very linear. It's been you know you, you sit down you write an iteration of the script you take your best guess at how Kevin Hart will sound when he says these words, and then Kevin Hart comes in and you hope that he says the words or he changes the script on the fly and he improvises and makes it better. Um, 
whereas the graphics and the, the visuals are like, you know, there's, there's a method, there's, you know, prototypes that are built, there's low fidelity versions. And then, you know, there's like, the entire scene can change, but you know, it's, 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 it's not very time consuming either. Um, and it's feasible to do that. Whereas like with, with, with speech and script writing, it's almost like once it's baked in, it better be good because that's, that's it. That's the only thing you're going to get. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's not just cost, but it's also like this, this, uh, this opinion, this, this view of like things that you could only do with, um, with speech synthesis or AI voices that aren't even possible with humans. I, I can see that from the perspective of like, from, I know that you mentioned game developers quite a lot. So it sounds as though you do, you do work with game developers quite often, um, content creators, you know, media companies, people who are creating videos, creating marketing assets, creating, you know, um, all that kind of stuff, games, makes absolute perfect sense. And in that in that case, I think the, the thing actually ends up selling itself, which is what do you want to do? Do you want to re- employ a voice actor and bring them in to record all of your lines? Or do you want to use a synthetic voice that you can scale? And every time you yeah. reuse it, you recoup the cost that you would have spent on, on the voice actor. So I can understand that. What about when you compare it to like com- other conversational AI uh, technology providers? So in this instance, let's say you've got Google, you've got Microsoft, you've got IBM, you've got um, you know uh, my, uh, Amazon. They all have synthetic voices, and you know you can choose between their voices if you want to. You can get Google's standard voice, you can get Google's WaveNet voice, which which is a little bit better. You can you can use any of the poly voices, all that kind of stuff. Maybe framing it this way, what would your kind of argument for using a tool like Resemble be, rather than using uh, just the standard built-in? Google or Amazon voices. Yeah. Why, 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 why yeah. would somebody choose resemble over those? Right. The biggest difference is uh, those voices are typically built for a very particular use case. So, you know, like most of those are trying to capture uh, anything from like an assistant to like accessibility uh, to like a general reader, et cetera. Um, I think uh, it's really important that, you know, uh, when it's just like branding, you know, it's really important that you have, if you, if you are voice first, um, and you have all of these design elements that you're thinking about, like, oh, what, what kind of flow should you fall into? And, you know, like, um, when should the user be prompted for help? And, you know, you're trying, you're trying your best to brand your voice experience in a way. I, I, suspect the thing, the, the one major thing that your audience is listening to, which is the actual voice itself should also be branded. Um, and that's the biggest benefit. And the, the other big, huge benefit is that those voices simply don't cut it. Um, so if you're building like a, a therapy app, uh, some, like some of that, and, and, you know, uh, those voices unfortunately are too generic to, to provide any sort of impact there. Um, and that's why, that's where we really shine. It's like building those voices that are, um, tailored for a use case, you know, like if you're, we have like in, in the talent pool, we have people like, who have built commercials, who have voiced commercials rather, who have voiced like Animal Planet stuff at Discovery, where you know those voices just generally do a lot better than if you just get a uh, voice stuff of Amazon or Google or uh, Microsoft. So I think it's just about building the experience. And the way I think the way you look at it is like the, the parallel you want to draw is um, is uh, iOS apps. Um, where at the very early stage of iOS apps, you had all the apps that sounded or looked 
about the same, you know, like everyone had like a navigation at the bottom, et cetera. And then you had like innovations that started distinguishing different apps. So, um, you know, like pull to refresh was a very Twitter thing to do, right? You know, and then everyone started like, oh, pull to refresh is just intuitive. And it's like, this makes sense. And there's like some sort of branding there. Um, and you had all these like UI decisions that were being made uh, on the fly. Um, I think that that's basically the um, the gist of it is like you, you want to be able to uh, distinguish yourselves in some sort of way and brand yourselves uh, in some sort of way. And if you're building uh, any sort of experience where the voice is the center of the entire experience, you, you kind of want to make that memorable. And, you, you know, you, you don't want you don't want to, you know, if you're building an e-commerce thing and Alexa and Amazon are competing with you to some degree and your assistant also sounds like Alexa, it's kind of weird. Um, so yeah, we, we do a lot of work uh, with the APIs to fit into those ecosystems. Uh, one thing that we've learned is everyone comes in with their own tech stack. Um, like we don't care if you use Oracle, if you're using IBM Watson, um, our tech stack kind of just fits in uh, kind of immediately. Perfect. Yeah. So thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks so much for everyone in the chat, as always, uh, for sharing those great questions and really making this an interactive, uh, interactive show. Where can people go to find out more about you, connect with you and find more, find out more about Resemble AI as well? Yeah. Uh, the name is a domain. So resemble.ai. Um, if you want to talk to me or anyone that uh, for any use case, just uh, there's an intercom thing at the bottom left. Uh, just feel free to ping me there. Um, you can always email me at sohib at resemble.ai and I'd be happy to dive in more. Perfect. Well, thanks again so much. Perfect. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, guys. Cool. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'm just going to stick up the email there. There we go. You might get you might get flooded with uh, <laughs> with bombardments now. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> but no, appreciate it, Zohir. That's been that's been absolutely fantastic. And as Dustin said, thanks everyone for for tuning in. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, next week we'll be doing this all again. And uh, I'm never prepared with this, but I will tell you who it's with. If you give me one moment next thursday is going to be <laughs> we've actually got two next week if if you uh, if you're interested one is with nate brown he is a customer experience professional uh seasoned customer experience guy he's going to be talking about how conversational ai can help enhance customer experience but also on thursday uh we have brett kinsella uh john kelvey and Ahmed Bouzid, Ahmed Bouzid, apologies, Ahmed, it was you that started this whole thing <laughs> of Witlingo. And we're going to be uh, asking the question, does voice first suck? And so John and Ahmed have both put some interesting articles out uh, recently around uh, voice first, the term voice first and where the voice assistant landscape is right now. Uh, they have some pretty strong feelings about it. Uh, Brett Kinsella from Voicebot AI has slightly different feelings about it. Uh, I don't know where I sit yet. That's kind of the part of the, of the discussion really is to figure out where we sit. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's going to be that's going to be next Thursday. So two next week. Uh, do join us. I hope you do. Uh, it's going to be amazing and uh, thanks again for, for joining us this time thanks Zohib uh, it's been an absolute pleasure